As you just heard, my name is Jeremy Biedenbaugh, I'm one of the pastors on staff at uh, Green Tree, and uh, glad that you're with us this morning. If you're, if you're new or kind of figuring out what, what, we're do, what we do, who we are, anything like that, go on our website, greentreechurch.com. You can also uh, grab this uh, Seasons Weekly you got when you came in. There's a contact card in there, because uh, we don't take up tithes and offerings during the service. We take them in these wooden churches, one at this exit, one at that exit. And there's a contact card in here. You can fill it out, drop it in there. We'll be glad to contact you. Uh, however you uh, see fit. Um, one announcement this morning, and uh, it's a reminder. Most of you probably already know we have Harvest Party coming up uh, next week. We, every year we do Harvest Party Thursday before Halloween. It's a great opportunity, not just for us to have fun, but for us to have fun by throwing a party uh, for our community. And every year we have over 1,000 people come through here uh, from Kirkwood and surrounding areas. And so we need volunteers to put this on still. So if you would like to volunteer or if you're interested, uh, please do that. Just go to the back table. You can sign up. All you have to do is kind of, you know, a one hour uh, run a game, bring, uh, bring donations, things like that. And, um, and you can help us throw a party for our community, which is very important, uh, very important to us to be able to serve them in that way. So if you're interested, table at the back, uh, sign up and let us know. As we come this morning to our uh, study in Romans, um, we're coming into Romans chapter 9, and we get to, and we get to chapter 9, uh, we get to one of the hardest breaks, one of the biggest shifts of emotion from one verse to the next that I know of anywhere else uh, in all of Scripture. You know, like if you look at your Bible, that little white space between chapter 8 and 9, uh, that didn't actually exist. There, there were no chapters and verses in the original. It just, uh, just kind of went from one to the other, and what we're going to see is that when Paul goes from the end of 8 to the beginning of 9, he goes from the heights of ecstasy, right? If you were here last week, he was preaching and singing and reveling in the promises of God and, 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 and singing those out to us. And he goes from that at the end of 8 into uh, the depths of sorrow in the beginning of chapter 9. And the question is, what could cause such passion? What could cause such sorrow? How could the thing that caused you the greatest joy uh, actually lead to one of your greatest sorrows? So hear God's word as we read uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would let us see, that you would let us hear, you would carry us into the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that we might become passionate as he was passionate, and passionate as you were passionate. So help us to see, Father. Help us to grow. Help us to be transformed. Help us in this moment in the preaching of your word to be changed, to become new. 
pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What, what drives you? What creates uh, anguish and, and, and emotion uh, in your heart? I think you just heard Paul, if you listened, you heard his anguish, you heard his emotion, you heard his passion coming out. And the question is why, and the reason is because in chapter 8, he was really passionate about the promises of God, right? Passionate about the promises of God. When we move to Romans 9, we see he's going to get passionate about people, the people of God, and specifically the people not believing the promises. His fellow Jews, the, the chosen people, the, the Old Testament elect, right? The, the chosen people of God who Paul says largely were not recognizing their own Messiah. And Paul's heart is broken. And he pours it out in passion, and we get to see it here. So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at just two things, uh, the passion of Paul and the privilege of Israel. Most of our time in, in the first point. So look there at, at, at the passion. What's the passion like? And, and the first thing you see is it is a deep passion. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. He's, he's basically vowing, swearing. I swear by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not lying. It's really this important to me. And then he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. The word great there is, is mega in Greek. You know, like I have mega sorrow. And, and the word for pain there is translated out of uh, uh, Genesis 3, when, when God says to Eve, I'll give you much sorrow, much pain in, what, childbirth, right? That's what Paul's saying, that, that, that mega sorrow. And, and the word for pain there is translated out of uh, uh, Genesis 3, when, when God says to Eve, I'll give you much sorrow, much pain in, what, childbirth, right? That's what Paul's saying, that, that, that kind of pain is what's filling my heart, that kind of passion is what's going on uh, inside of me. That's, that's, that's what he's showing us uh, in verses 1 and 2. And you look at it and say, why? And he says, the reason is because of his own fellow kinsmen, his own Jews, who aren't believing the promise. And when Paul used those words, you can tell it's something that you would notice about him, right? I mean, I just said it was like the word for childbirth. It, when a woman goes into labor, does anybody notice this? Yes, everybody knows it, right? Because she's in labor. She's going to be in pain. She's going to be in sorrow. And everybody is going to do whatever she says whenever she says it, right? But you can see it. You can see it on her face. She's wearing it on her sleeve. And that, that's what Paul is actually saying is like, you, I have a palpable, noticeable passion for my people who don't believe in the promises of Christ, who have been cut off, who have been accursed, he says. And the question is, I think for us this morning is, what about us? Where's our passion? I think that the Christian church in our culture is known for a lot of things, right? I mean, we get the rap for a lot of things. Rarely are we known for this kind of sorrow, unceasing anguish, passion for people. That kind of care, that kind of love. But what if we were? What if Green Tree Community Church were known for this? What if we were known as people who were deeply passionate about our neighbors, about our coworkers, about our community, about the widows, about the orphans, about the brokenhearted, about the lonely? What if we were known for that as a church? What if people on the outside looked in and said, you know, I don't know what that church really believes. I don't really know if I get it all. But here's what I know. Those people are passionate about loving other people for Christ's sake. Can you imagine how different that would be, what kind of transformation that would 
bring about. Now, when do you feel anything like what Paul's saying here? When do you feel sorrow and anguish like that? Uh, for me, I mean, I would say that I kind of rarely feel that way. Um, but when I do, it's usually about me. When I do, I usually feel anguish over, you know, anguish over Jeremy, anguish over my finances, anguish over my future, anguish over my kids. Not so much anguish over people, the people that are around me. And that's what Paul is bringing back to us and saying, what if, what if that's what we were known for? What if that was our passion abiding deep uh, within us? And I think what he's saying is that, you know, honestly, we can run kind of all the programs. We can put stuff out there. We can hire staff. We can do all kinds of stuff. But until the Holy Spirit really moves and gives us something in our heart that's like this, a passion that runs deep, it's not going to amount that much. And we need to seek that. How do you cultivate a heart like that? How do you cultivate a heart that's passionate like that? I'll give you a couple practical ways I think you can do it. There's a million ways, but I'll give you a couple. Number one, go back to the Bible. Specifically, go back to the Gospels. There's no substitute for just reading the Bible, God's Word. Go back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them and then ask yourself, what does Jesus see in people? Right? Look and see, what is Jesus seeing in these people? Because he sees things I never see. I look out and I see like this mass of humanity. And yet he sees individuals. I look out and I see like units of service, people that are paid to, to do things for me. And Jesus looks out and sees people to serve people to bless. I look out and see people slowing me down and causing me to be late when they're driving too slow or whatever. Jesus sees people who need him. He ran to every kind of person imaginable, rich, poor, sick, blind, lame, uh, need, needy, needless, fixed, broken. Every kind of person you can imagine, he ran into and he gave them himself. In fact, the most dominant word used to describe Jesus' emotion with people was compassion. It didn't matter if they were rich or poor, if they were leader or not leader, religious or religious, didn't matter. That was his passion. I mean, where do you think Paul gets, that's where Paul gets it from. He's looking at the heart of Jesus. We need to go back and say, what is the heart of Jesus for people? And do I have that passion? And the second thing you can do is just go out in public Go somewhere, call these Target, uh, coffee shop, whatever. Sit there and look around for about an hour and continually observe and pray this prayer. God, show me what you see. Or show me what you see in these people. And you'll find your heart growing with the eyes of Jesus, with the passion, with the heart of Jesus. You'll find it deepening. And then let's, and third, let's change our, let's change our prayers or let's work on those. There's an old saying that said the, that prayer, our prayer informs our belief. In other words, what we pray about is actually what our heart starts to build on and starts to get passionate about. So if we start praying about like, the glory of God, we'll get passionate about the glory of God. We start praying about our neighbors, we'll get passionate about our neighbors. We start praying about widows and orphans and, 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 and the lonely and the broken and, and people around us and our family, whatever, our coworkers. We start praying for people, we get passionate about people. That's what Paul is saying. You hear the deep passion that he has that runs through his heart. But it's not only just a deep passion, it's also, I think, a sacrificial passion. And I think this is important, and you see it in verse 3. So look at verse 3. What does it look like? What does this passion really, how does it demonstrate itself? He says, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. 
That's a sacrificial passion. Now, you might think he's saying, like, you know what? I'd be willing to die for them. That's how much I love them. Actually, he's saying a lot more than that. Hear what he said? Cursed and cut off. The word is anathema. In other words, he's saying, if I could, I would be willing to give myself so much that I'd be willing to go to hell for them. I'd be willing to be cursed, cut off from God because I'm so passionate about these people. Now, what kind of passion would you say normally our culture sees from Christians? How do they normally perceive Christians' passion? Normally, how does it come across? It comes across in, in boycotts. It comes across in, in uh, sometimes in your face, sometimes protest, sometimes anger, judgmentalism, condemnation, right? It just comes across that way at times. And you can say, you know what, it's, all, it's on the other side too. The other side does it too. Sure, what? I mean, we don't play by those rules. We play by the rules of Paul. We play by the rules of Jesus, and he's laying it out for us. It's a sacrificial passion. And I wonder if part of the reason that our culture hasn't felt very loved by Christians is because they've experienced much more of a surface love than a sacrificial love. Because the question Paul is raising, I'm convinced I don't love anybody as much as Paul loves these people, willing to be cut off from Christ for eternity. But he's certainly raising the question, what is it costing me to love people? What is it costing you to love people? What is it costing you in terms of your agenda and your time and your money? What is it costing you? Paul's saying any genuine love is a sacrificial love. That's what all genuine love is like. And the question is, what are we sacrificing to see other people know Jesus? have that passion in our hearts. And I know that when you start talking like this, you know, you can get a little bit, people get a little bit nervous and anxious, you know, like, I know some of you probably uh, grew up in churches and you got burned by those churches, or you didn't grow up in church and you got burned by a Christian somewhere along the way, somebody being rude or judgmental or unkind or treating you more as a project than a person. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe you feel burned in that capacity. And what Paul is doing is saying, before you judge too early, because guess what? You're never going to see sacrificial passion live perfectly in me. Why is that? Because Paul, did you hear what Paul said in verse 1? He said, I could, uh, verse 2, I could wish that I would be cut off. In other words, I, I, if I could, I would, but I can never wish that because it can never happen. Why? Paul can't be cut off from God because Paul's Savior was. Jesus came. Galatians 3 says, Jesus bore the curse for us. He was condemned. He was cut off. He was accursed for his people. And now that's the heart that Paul is adopting and pouring out. So I say, before you make too many early judgments about the way you've been burned in the past by Christians, think a little more deeply about it. Uh, Let me give you an example of this. Uh, it's, it's, It's baseball season, right? Great time to be uh, a Cardinals fan here in St. Louis, loving uh, everything except for, I can't, I mean, how, how can I be asked to stay up that late when I have to preach the next day? The World Series game went way too long. And, and, and if you, my, my son loves baseball, he loves the Cardinals, he loves to go out and like batting practice and let me throw him balls and hit and stuff like that. And, and who do you think his favorite player is? Take a wild guess. Yeah, Albert Pujols, right? I mean, and he says, Daddy, I want to be like Albert Pujols. I want to hit the ball like Albert Pujols, you know? And I mean, he's pretty good. You know, he can make good contact and stuff like that. But, you know, if you came and watched him and he said, my, my five-year-old son Jude said to you, 
My idol is Albert Pujols, so I want to hit just like him. Now watch, you know. And then you saw him like strike out on an 11-mile-an-hour underhand soft touch. <laughs> Would your judgment be, Albert Pujols must be a loser? <laughs> of course not. You're not going to judge Albert Pujols completely on the basis of what one of his fans, how his fan plays in imitation of him. And if you've been burned in the past by some church, some Christian, I apologize. And I just ask you to look beyond. Because the point is, there's a lot of us Christians out there striking out on 11-mile-an-hour soft pitches. And we're asking you to look beyond us and look at Jesus. Judge Jesus on the basis of Jesus. That's what... He's saying, because it's a deep passion, it's a sacrificial passion that Paul is calling us to develop. He's pointing out uh, in our hearts. And whenever we have a sacrificial passion, sacrifice always has to move toward relationship, right? It always moves toward relationship. And you see that at the end of verse 3. Look how Paul talks about his fellow um, Israelites. He says... uh, I wish I were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen. You hear the relational term? My brother, they're my brothers, they're my kinsmen. I, I, I love them. He, he doesn't just look at them as a mass of humanity. They're not projects, they're people. He loves them personally, in relationship. And the question is that we need to ask ourselves is, where has God put me strategically? Because God sovereignly put you somewhere in some family, some neighborhood, some workplace, whatever, And are you building relationships with people around you? Do you know, I mean, do you really know the people around you? Do you really know the people you work with? Do you really know the people that live next door to you? Do you really know the guy that takes your order five times a week at the coffee shop? I mean, are you really listening? Are you really hearing them? Are you really interacting? Are you really trying to build a genuine relationship with them? One that is true and and real and, and genuine and authentic. That's what Paul's saying about the relational aspect of passion. And maybe this is like something totally new to you. Like, I just don't know if I have this. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, just start small. You know, have a play date with your kids. Invite some neighbors over for dinner. Have a barbecue. Watch the game together. Do something. Just get to know people. Uh, Ask them questions. Be with them. Live with them. Do whatever you're normally going to do. Do it with them. But Paul says it's relational. That's why he calls them my brothers, my kinsmen, right? And now you might say, well, if I start doing that, uh, you know, people, people hear me talking about Jesus in public, it might get kind of dicey. I might seem goofy. I might seem silly. I might seem odd. People might kind of like, eh, I don't know about him. They might say bad things, but I don't know. All that's very true. That happened to Paul, right? Remember at verse 1 when he was like, I swear to you I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. The only reason you have to do that is when people might think you'd be lying, right? When you have to really, like, promise it out. Well, why would people think Paul was lying? Well, Paul didn't seem to have that great a relationship with, with uh, his fellow Jews. Because why? When he would go preach, he would go where first? The synagogues, right? Preach to the Jews first. How did that work out? Not too good, right? So I just pulled out two verses. We could have pulled out a bunch. This is what Paul says these relationships cost him. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Then Acts 14. It says, Jews came from Antioch, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They, became, they, made, himself, they made themselves his enemies. And how did Paul respond? With passion, with love, with sorrow, with grief, with, with, with anguish. That's how he responded. And I want to make this personal because it's, it was very personal for me this week because I, I, I personally felt on Thursday afternoon, uh, one of the times I was working on this text, extremely convicted by this passage. Uh, because, you know, look, I believe the promises of Romans 8 are true for me, right? I believe, those prom- I believe there's no condemnation for those in Christ. For me, I, I believe that I'll never be separated from, from the love of Christ. I believe that, that all of creation is being restored. Every good thing said in Romans 8, I believe. But I have a younger brother who willingly rejects these promises, who's walked away from these promises, walked away from Christ. I have a younger brother, one brother we were to die tonight, we would, we, would, we would be separated in eternity. And if I have to tell you the honest truth, my heart's not in anguish over that. At least until Thursday. If I had to tell you the honest truth, I'd say I'm, I, I'm passionate about Cardinals in the series, I'm passionate about college football, I'm passionate about uh, my kid, I'm passionate about a lot of things. Not that passionate about my brother. Why? I got all kinds of good reasons. He lives too far away. He's made a lot of mistakes in life. I mean, he's kind of, kind of, you know, messed up our family a little bit. Uh, he's done a lot of, um, you know, things that didn't really welcome me into relationship. Right? I mean, he's done a lot of these things. Let's take those excuses to the Apostle Paul. He says, look at the Jews. They had every privilege. They, they, they got everything. They deserved nothing. They mocked and scorned God. They rejected him. They rebuked him. They rebelled against him. And yet, Jesus came. And then I felt like it was even more personal because God was saying, it was like he was saying, and yet, Jeremy, you yourself were a wicked sinner. You yourself made a thousand mistakes. If not for me, you'd be, you'd be living the craziest lifestyle you can imagine right now. Where's your passion for my flesh, my kinsman, my brother? So the question this morning is, what are, what are your excuses? What are your excuses? Say, write them down, take them to God, pray them out, figure them out. Because he's saying the excuses, as much as I'd like them to, they just don't really hold water. As you're thinking about this, I, I need to answer one more objection before we go to the final point. And 
that's the objection of, you know, you start talking about these things today in America, and they just don't go over well, right? They're not really PC to talk about evangelism, talk about, you know, talking to people. about That's just not PC because, and some of you might be wrestling with us right now. You're saying, you know what, I just don't like that kind of talk because it makes me uncomfortable. It makes, it makes you feel, it makes you seem arrogant because you feel like you have the truth. It makes, you know, God is bigger than all that. God is bigger than religion. God is bigger than any one religion. And, 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 and no, no religion has a corner on the truth, Right? We, you've heard that before, or you're either wrestling with it yourself. And what would I say to that? Well, I would say this. Uh, if you say that to me, I would say you're doing the very thing to me that you forbid me from doing. What do I mean by that? Basically that you are evangelizing me, right? Because you're saying, you need, to, you need to see this is what's right in society. This is what's PC. This is how God, God is a laid-back God. God is a God that doesn't care necessarily about what you believe. God is a God that is bigger than this. See, I see truth that you need to believe, but you, that you can't quite see. And I say, well, how do you know these things? Well, we know that it's just not proper to do it, right? How, but how do you know them? Well, we know. So you know by faith, I guess. Right? That statement's not an anti-faith statement. That ta- statement is an alternate faith statement. And there's a great example of this. There was a, there's a professor at University of Chicago. His name is Mark Lila. And um, uh, he's a non-Christian, secularist guy. And, and he teaches at the Wharton School of Business, pretty prestigious. He had a student that was so promising. And uh, he loved the student. And, and, and one, one, at one point in their relationship, the student comes and tells him, he went to a Billy Graham crusade the night before, and he walked down the aisle and gave his life to Christ. Professor's horrified. I can't believe this has happened, right? And, and this is his quote, he, but he was very honest about it. So listen to what he says. The quote's on the screen if you want to see it. He says, writing about the student, he says, I wanted to cast doubt on the step he was about to take to help him see there are other ways to live, other ways to seek knowledge, love, even self-transformation. I wanted to convince him his dignity depended on maintaining a free, skeptical attitude towards doctrine. I wanted... To save him. Hear that? I wanted to save him. I wanted him to convert. See, the question is not really if you will evangelize or if anybody will, but what or for whom you will evangelize. That's really the question. What is worth it? Right? And as we look at Paul, we see his passion is excited not just by their rejection, but by their privileged rejection. So you look at the privilege of Israel, right? And we often like to ask questions like, you know, what about people who never heard? What about the tribe in Africa who never heard the gospel? Well, Paul's actually going to flip that and ask a different question. Not so much what about those that never heard, but what about those that always heard? What about the ones, you know, he talks about his fellow Jews. They, they grew up with this. They had every spiritual privilege that there was. Look at the privilege of Israel. Look at verse 4. He names some of them. He says, they're Israelites. That was a privilege in itself. He called Israelite. To them belong adoption, glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises, and the patriarchs. He says, look at these incredible privileges that they were given. And yet... They failed to make good. They failed to believe. And Paul is saying that somewhere along the way, if, if we're not watching, if we're not careful, our privileges have the, have the potential to destroy our passion. Right? He's warning us. I mean, 
we feel that we have all kinds of spiritual privilege. You get to come and hear the Word of God and have baptism and the Lord's Supper. You could be in a Bible study and you can, uh, you know, do all these. There's all these spiritual privileges, and yet how often do we take them for granted? How often do we presume upon them? Just come in late for worship, not caring about, not prepared, not focused, not singing, not have no heart in it. Paul is warning us, saying, these privileges can destroy your passion. And you have to watch out. You have to be careful. And then he says, but the crux is you can have all the outward privileges, and if you don't have the one main privilege, it's for nothing. So see verse 5. He says, to them, the, the, the Israelites, belong the patriarchs, and from their race... According to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. All the other privileges they had pointed to God, right? Why does Paul say this? Because this is one of the strangest Greek constructions in all the book of Romans. Because he says, he came in your flesh, but he is God. He is God, he came in the flesh. And Paul is saying... All the other privileges pointed toward God. The last privilege is the messianic privilege. He is God. And you see what he's saying to his fellow Jews, right? The God, he says, God over all. The God who is over all. The God of the universe. The God who set the stars in the sky has come down in flesh. The God who did that, Paul is saying, it it is your God, your God for you, your God on your behalf, your God condemned for you, your God right before your eyes, flesh and blood. That's what Paul's pointing to. And most of them were walking away from this privilege. And Paul is saying, he's right there in the flesh. I mean, are you waiting this morning for God to show up? Are you waiting for God to like prove something, to prove his love to you? Paul says, done. Jesus Christ showed up in the flesh, was condemned and cursed for you, and then raised again on the third day. That's a message worth telling. That's a message worth loving. That's something worth being passionate about, right? That's what he is telling us here. That the one who is God became human and was cursed for us. If you're a non-Christian this morning, doubter, seeker, don't know exactly where you are, you might say, I didn't grow up with any of the privileges of religion. I didn't grow up with any church. I didn't grow up with anything. I know nothing. And Paul is saying, you might have had none of those. But the messianic privilege, you can have that today. The one that counts. You can have that right now. When you believe in Christ. And the Christians, he's saying, where is your passion? Where's your anguish? Where's your sorrow? What what drives you? How is it resulting in a passion for other people? Because what he's saying here. He's mentioning Jesus to say, you and I are never going to be passionate about our neighborhoods, our communities, our world, whatever, until we see first how passionate Jesus was about us. He was God over all, made himself a servant, condemned in the flesh, 
and raised on the third day. That's passion. That's sacrificial, deep, real, abiding passion. And he's saying, see that. Take that into yourself and then pour that back out into a watching world. I called my brother on the way to church this morning. It's been a while since we talked, but he answered the phone. And I only had a minute. Uh, he was actually uh, in the deer stand, deer hunting. And we talked for a minute. But I said, I want you to know, I've been thinking about you all week. And I realize I've been a terrible brother. And I want you to know I've been thinking about you. I do love you. But I said, I want you to know I'm thinking about you. I do love you. I'm praying for you. And it meant the world to him. And I'm praying God keeps growing that passion in my heart and in your heart. And when I hung up the phone, I reminded myself of the last verse of this passage, verse 6. It says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. It doesn't depend on me. It depends on the Lord who truly exhibit a passion for his people and for his world. Let's pray.